Well, amen. Well, I know, I tell you what, I, um, I took, uh, I think, one or two piano lessons in my life. And I have to confess, I was a 16-year-old boy, and, and it was a girl in our youth group who knew how to play piano, and I just thought it would be a way to hang out with her and, and asked her to teach me piano. Then I discovered how hard it was going to be and how long I was going to have to study it. So when I see someone play the organ, I'm just absolutely amazed at that and uh, wish, I'd have, wish, I'd have, wish I'd have stuck with those lessons, perhaps. Who knows? James chapter 1, take, take your Bible and find that. I do really want to encourage you, come out tonight if you can. You know, I just remember when you uh, crops turned into Martins, to be honest with you. I, 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 was, I was not a big fan of that. When I moved here, I was just so enthralled with you crops because we didn't have those stores where I grew up. And, uh, and of course, you know, now they're, they're open on Sundays and different things like that. And, and, and all I was going to say is this, is tonight it is, it is also a dessert fellowship. And, and I wasn't one who really celebrated when you crops who became Martin's started opening up on Sundays, but if it happens to hit anybody in their spirit, one of them chocolate pies they make wouldn't hurt my feelings tonight, anyhow. Um, so anyways, no, I'm just teasing, and uh, I'm just playing around, and I'm just glad to be back with you. James chapter 1, James chapter 1, take your sermon notes out. We're going to do something today. We're going to, I'm going to kind of just give you a quick review of the first part of James chapter 1, then, uh, then I want us to really, here's where we're going, I want us to see how important it is for us in the world that we live in to know that God has a word for us. That's really simply the objective of the sermon today. And it's an ambitious sermon because I'm going to really just remind you of how chapter 1 teaches this, and then we're going to attempt to zero in on the latter part of chapter 1. And so today, I'm calling today's sermon, Truth for a World of Trouble. I mean, just think about the news headlines. You know what I'm talking about? We live in a world of trouble. I mean, so many different events are in the headlines today. Whether you still get the traditional paper newspaper and you open that up this morning, my goodness, I can only begin to imagine what would have been in that newspaper. Perhaps you pull out your your tablet or your cell phone or your computer like I typically do and you will read the news and follow the news electronically. And of course, it comes at such a rapid fire pace. I don't even know exactly how this happened on my phone, but but now I'm getting these Fox News updates all the time. I don't really mind it because it's kind of keeping me in the loop, but they're pushing these news alerts to me. So on uh, kind of my... Uh, just on the just on the normal you know face of the phone i get these news alerts and it's and and they're not sending me bible verses folks all right they're they're sending me headlines tragic headlines things that that remind me that i live in a world of trouble do you hear what i'm saying would you agree with me on that say amen we live in a world of great need, a world of trouble. And the Bible here reminds us in chapter 1 that, that we face trials, we face temptations, but that God has blessed us with his truth. And so we're going to be looking at that today because really in this world of trouble, we're going to have questions. Our children are going to have questions. Our grandchildren, our neighbors, uh, folks that we work with, uh, folks that our kids go to school with, they're going to have questions about how to make sense of this life. And I got to thinking about something on the way over here that, that happened to me oh, several months ago now. I was preaching uh, throughout a weekend uh, in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And I was commuting back and forth, believe it or not, to the Richmond area because 
in the midst of speaking there throughout that whole weekend, I was also committed to officiating a wedding. And, uh, and, 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 and so I was going back and forth. And so while I was trying to make the most of my travel time, I remember specifically I was driving down Interstate 81 and I thought, well, I really need to study on a particular topic. But I was by myself in the car. I was trying to think about how to multitask while still focusing on driving, all right? And so I decided to give something a try. What I did is I took out my iPhone and I thought, well, I will ask this Siri thing. That's on an iPhone, you can press the button. And this computer voice will come back and will ask you what uh, it can help you with it and, 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 uh, and how they can answer questions. I'm pressing it right now. And it says, what can I help you with? And so I just began to kind of ask some different, pose some different questions uh, to, the, to, the, to the phone, believe it or not, and to see what would happen. And it was interesting. As I began to do that, I was, of course, I was working on a spiritual message. I was trying to study on a sermon. And so I began to ask these, these questions, like, how, do I, how, how does a person walk with God? How does a person abide in Christ? And it was interesting. This is literally how it came off. It was almost comical. It was as if the phone started to get irritated with me. I'm not kidding you, all right? In fact, this morning what I did is I was, I just wanted to kind of view it. I started pressing the button. I put in there, for instance, who is Jesus? Now, today she was in a little bit better mood. And so what she did is she didn't get frustrated. Like, at times you'll put in a spiritual question like that, and, it, and it'll say something like, listen, you need, this, is literally, this is literally one of the answers that the phone gave me uh, a few months ago when I was traveling. I asked the question, said, I am a phone. You need to consult with another human being. I am not kidding you. I'm not kidding you, all right? Now, I know some of you are going to try this later on. Some of you are dying to pull out your phones right now and do it. I know you are, if you even have a phone, all right? Now, here's the deal. But this morning, you, you, the phone directs me. To, a, to an internet website that you may have used or you may not have used, I'm not sure, called Wikipedia. All right, now, now for some in this room, I know you may still have these, you know, the Encyclopedia Britannica's that folks used to go around and sell. Well, now the reality is this. The world that my children are growing up in, my children research everything by looking at books and sources through the computer. That's the way they are being taught and trained in their school to do. Now, they'll still read regular books, but they do a lot of their research via the computer. And so, for instance, the, the telephone starts directing me to Wikipedia. And so I just began to pose different questions. Now, what the phone did today, whenever I asked it a question that it appeared to be uncomfortable answering, <laughs> is, is it just simply gave me a list of what it thought it could answer. Now, this is kind of an absurd illustration that I bet you will remember today, all right, and that you will take away with you. Here is my point. People in this world will turn to all kinds of places and all types of even things and people to get answers and in their search for truth. The whole reason that the Apple computer company invented this little system in their phones where you could push a button and, and, and try to ask a question is because it knew that that would be attractive to so many of the consumers in their market. They know there are people out there that simply oftentimes want to know, hey, where's the closest gas station? Where is a restaurant? Uh, how can I find this? And the computer begins to do this search for information. Well, the reality is this, loved ones. We are all in need of good information. We are all in need of knowing how to make sense 
of this world in which we're traveling through. I mean, perhaps you have found yourself driving down a highway and you all of a sudden notice that you are low on fuel and you begin your search in earnest for a gas station. And the whole time hoping, sir, that your wife doesn't look over and see how low the fuel gauge really is. Because probably an hour ago, she reminded you that it might be good to stop and get gas, all right? And you begin to search. And you know you do not want to have the trouble of running out of gas. Now, I'm making this point today because all of us find ourselves journeying through a world of trouble. And that's exactly what James tells these folks. He says, listen, first of all, you're going to have some trials in this life. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and, then, and really what I want you to remember about trials is this, and I think it's in your notes. God is sovereign in my trials. I want you to remember that, all right? God is sovereign in my trials. We talked about how God has a purpose that he can bring about uh, through the trials that we go through. But remember this today. God is sovereign in the trials of this life. But then secondly, I want you to know we not only encounter trials, but we're going to have to deal with temptation in this life. And that's what James picks up on in verse 13. Look with me at the Bible. It says in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the, listen to this, the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You see, right there, he says, listen, don't forget, he brought us about by what he calls the word of truth. Yes, you and I are going to face trials. Yes, you and I are going to at times be tempted. But God has given us his truth to guide us through this world of trouble. Let me pray for us as we begin this sermon and study today. Lord, thank you for blessing us with your scripture. Thank you that even though we find ourselves living in a world of trouble, you have blessed us with the word of truth. And Lord, I pray today the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. You are my rock and my redeemer. May you be magnified, Lord Jesus. May the church be edified, Lord Jesus. And ultimately we pray that those around us and across this world will be evangelized. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me just kind of walk you through here, first of all, how we might need to deal with temptation. And in your notes, follow along here. It's going to be very, very practical. First of all, I want to share with you quickly how temptation works. And it's straight from these verses in the Bible. The Bible here reminds us in verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So who tempts us? Who's after us? Well, you probably can make a pretty good guess here, can't you? It's the evil one. Understand this, that we have a foe in the devil, all right? Now, I don't really like to preach and talk a whole lot about the evil one. 
I remember my, my daddy, who's not a preacher. My dad's an engineer. He was a shipbuilder. He's a deacon in a Baptist church. My dad one time told me when I was beginning to, to preach some, he said, son, he said, I'm not a preacher. I've never studied preaching, and I'm probably not qualified to pass this on, but I just want to give you, give you a piece of advice. Talk a lot more about Jesus than you talk about the devil. Talk a lot more about, and I've never forgotten that. In fact, whenever I even write the word devil or Satan, I don't like to capitalize his name. I just kind of want one more way to stick it to him. So I'm not even going to give you the honor of capitalizing your name. And most often, quite often, I don't even like to refer to him as devil or Satan. I just call him the evil one because I want to remember who he is. He's the evil one. He's the adversary. He prowls around like a lion wanting to devour us. That's, that's who's after us, all right? So understand this. Temptation is out there, and the evil one wants to tempt us. So how does it work? Just write this down. It starts with desire. Now, we have desires. God's put certain desires within our hearts. That's true. But what temptation attempts to do is to kind of short shortchange and kind of crosswire those desires. You see, a desire out of control is destructive. And Satan likes to take routine desires and turn them into runaway desires. So it starts with desire. Then what it goes to is deception. It goes to deception. Here in the Bible, it says here in verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's the idea of what a fisherman does when he baits a hook or what a hunter does when he sets a trap. It's, it's, what a, it's what a duck hunter does when he has that duck call or he puts out that lure. The idea here is that we can be lured or drawn away by a trap that's been baited. Literally, in the Greek language of the New Testament, it meant to bait a hook. The idea is to trap us. It's to deceive us. It's to trick us. So you have desire, then it leads to deception, and then here's what can happen, disobedience. The Bible says that it gives birth, in verse 15, to sin. And then when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. So you have desire, you have deception, you have disobedience, and I tell you, that leads to death, friend. It leads to death. Now, you see, the opposite of death is life. It's life. You see, what, what, what that desire that turns into deception, that turns into disobedience that leads to death is, that's the picture here of how we have a life, how we have this life that, that Jesus wants us to have. And we are deceived. We then become disobedient. And what it leads to is it leads to death. It, it means that the things that God can have for us, that that disobedience can kill it. It can kill a relationship. It can kill a marriage. It can kill a friendship. It can even kill a church. It's a warning. It's a warning. So in verse, look at this, in verse 16, something happens in the scripture. James, Pastor James says, now listen, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. My beloved brothers, don't be deceived. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Or of his own will, listen, he brought us forth by the word of truth. You see, what James does now is he says, listen, I want you to refocus your life on God's plan, on God's truth, on God's goodness. 
You see, what can happen at times is when we're fighting temptation, and understand this, I'm responsible when I'm tempted, all right? As a child of God, as a, as, as a, as a part of the family of God, of the body of Christ, I'm responsible, I am. When I'm tempted, the Bible has told me that the Lord will give me a way out, all right? So I'm responsible when I'm tempted. And so how do I deal with it? How do I, how do I handle the temptation? Well, in the Bible here, James says, listen, what you need to remember is this, is never, ever, ever get over who God is and what God has done for you. He says every, every good and perfect gift is from God. It's kind of the idea, I, I read this illustration, and I, do, I, do not have a, I don't have a dog at the house, we don't have one, um, but I read this illustration about how, for instance, if, 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 if a person has this dog, and they put down a piece of meat in front of that dog, and then tell that dog, now don't touch that meat, don't you touch that meat, that what that dog will begin to do is that dog will not just look away from the meat, that dog will actually begin to stare into his master's face. The idea is to refocus from that temptation on your master, on your master, on his goodness, on his grace, uh, graciousness, on his greatness. We need to refocus. So how do, we, how do we do that? Understand this. Understand this. Temptation cannot be outgrown. Sometimes I think younger folks think, well, if I just get old enough, I won't have to deal with temptation anymore. Now, I tell you, there's probably some folks who didn't give witness that we don't outgrow that temptation. But I tell you what, we may not outgrow it, but we can overcome it. Amen? How do you overcome it? I just want to give you some words here. I think I already put these in your notes for you to take home with you. One is we can fight it. We fight, James 4, 7, submit yourselves, uh, yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. We fight it. We, we follow. Who do we follow? Well, the Bible says in James 4, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We also, we flee. You flee from that temptation. Sometimes the best way to get out of temptation and get away from temptation is a good pair of shoes. You run away from it. You flee from it. You flee. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 22, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Remember Joseph in Genesis 39? What did he do when Potiphar's wife tried to tempt him and entice him to sin? He ran you flee. You get out of dodge, man. You also, listen, you fellowship. You fellowship. That helps you deal with temptation and overcome it. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. But then finally, finally, you overcome temptation by feeding. You feed. You feed on the Word of God, and that's what I'm zeroing in on here today. You feed on the Word of God. Psalm 11, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Matthew chapter 4, the Lord Jesus, remember, when he's tempted, he, 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 he deals with every temptation. He starts off the same way. You look it up, Matthew 4. He starts off every response like this. It is written. It is written. It is written. So you see, we, we deal with trials. How do you make sense of trials? 
Well, I tell you what, as you turn to God's word, God will give you encouragement. God will give you hope. God will give you answers as you deal with trials. What about temptation? Well, the Bible, the Bible helps us overcome the temptation. It gives us the instruction. It helps us to know right from wrong. So you see, we have trials, we have temptations, but we have his truth, amen? We have his truth. We have the word of truth. You see, because trials and temptations are real, because we can face trials and temptation every day, I need God's truth every day. The Bible isn't just for Sunday. Scripture isn't just for Sunday school. I need God's truth every day. So, what are some steps we take to take advantage of the word of truth in this world of trouble? Well, it's going to be real practical. Number one, write this one down. You need to listen to God's word. You have to listen to God's word. Verse 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness. And he says, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, what do we we need to do in this world of trouble in regards to the word of truth? Well, first of all, we need to listen to God's word. We need to listen to God's word. It's interesting. He says in verse 19, be quick to hear. You know, I think about the times in the Bible when we're told to listen, when we're told to pay attention to God's word, to receive God's word. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to be quick to hear. He says we need to be slow to speak. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious, and it's been said by many a wise person. We have, what, two ears and one what? Mouth. Two ears and one mouth. Too many times we argue with God's word. We say we want to take exception to God's word, but sometimes we don't just argue with God's word. Sometimes we get angry with God's word. Look at what the Bible says in verse 19. Be slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So loved ones, understand this. We here are being told to, first of all, we have to listen to God's word. If we don't listen to God's word, we're not going to get anything out of God's word. We've got to listen to God's word. There, There are days, there are days when so often we are slow to listen to God's word. We are quick to speak or quick to come up with our own ideas, our own version of right and wrong. But the Bible here says we need to listen. We need to slow down and listen to God's word. And then it's interesting, in verse 21, the Bible says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. You see, the idea here, when he talks about putting away filthiness and rampant wickedness, it's the idea that you can't listen sometimes or you have a hard time listening to God's word because you got, found this interesting in my research, because you have wax in your ears. You know, sometimes people struggle with listening to God's word because they've got some kind of sinful behavior in their life. There's some type of filthiness, the Bible calls it. There's some type of wickedness that causes them to not want to hear it from God. I don't want to hear what you got to say, God. 
I'm up to here with it. I don't want to hear because you know what? I'm doing my thing. I'm doing what I want to do. And the Bible here says, you know what? You got to get that wax out of your ears. You need to listen to God's word. So how do we then come to God's word? Well, it's, it's a wonderful picture. The Bible says in verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word. You accept it. You don't argue with God's word. The idea of receiving, it's, it's, it's the same word that we could uh, use for welcome. It's the idea that we welcome God's word into our lives, into our hearts and souls. I think about last Sunday evening. We, we had a family, some family friends over to watch the Super Bowl with us. We've been doing this for years. We go over to our house, and this year they came over to our house. And I want you to picture this with me. They, they come towards the front of the house, up towards the front door, right? And I walk over to the front door. Now, I don't just open the door. I don't just open the door. I opened the door, but what else did I do? I welcomed them into my home. I opened the door. Okay, that's pretty obvious. But then I did, I welcomed them. I received them into my home. I want you to get this picture here. You see, oftentimes what we will do, we may open the Bible. But I want to know, are we really welcoming the Bible into our home? Am I really welcoming the Bible into my life? Or am I just kind of opening it and giving it lip service? Or am I welcoming it into my life? And how do you welcome it? The Bible says with meekness. Pastor James here, he says, you welcome God's word with meekness. You see, here's the issue. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord, folks. That's the issue. Are we truly, truly willing to humble ourselves and listen to God's word and receive it into our lives. So you see, number one, we have to listen. We have to listen with open hearts and welcoming souls to God's word. But number two, not just listen, but learn from. We need to learn from God's word. And that's where we come in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, here's the illustration, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. He uses this picture, this idea of a mirror. Now, a mirror has a purpose. Now, I'm, I'm looking around here. It looks like most of us looked into the mirror this morning, right? You walked in there and you look in that mirror and, and you have to make some decisions, don't you? You see, a mirror has a purpose. A mirror's purpose is to evaluate your life, your outside life. I go into the bathroom this morning, I look at the mirror, and the mirror is evaluating my life. The mirror is saying, you know what? You gotta do something about that, Brian. You gotta, you gotta do something about this, you gotta do something about that. And I have a decision to make. Am I going to learn from the mirror? Or am I simply gonna just kinda look at the mirror and then just walk away and not take anything from the experience. I want you to get this. This is a pretty cool analogy here. The idea is the Bible is like a mirror. The Bible evaluates my life, and I have a decision to make. Am I going to pay attention to what the Bible says about my life? Or am I just gonna kinda open it, look at it, and then just move on with the day and not comb my hair, brush my teeth, or shave my face? I have to not just look at it. The Bible says this. Look at the next verse. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, 
the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. See, the idea is I don't just look at God's word. He says you look into it. Now, that's, a, that's another deeper thought there. It's the idea of instead of just kind of a passing glance, I actually have a deep gaze at God's word. It's the difference between a tourist and an explorer. You see, what a tourist does is a tourist just kind of, when a tourist would, would come to town, a tourist would just kind of look around, kind of take in the sights, kind of enjoy the scenery. And that's how a lot of people approach God's truth. They just kind of look at it, see if there's some things they might enjoy, and then what do they do? They just move on. But an explorer... I think about those men and women who came here to this new world and they explored this land. What did they do? They drew maps. They took surveys. They examined this new world. See, the idea is is when we learn from God's word, we take it that seriously. We take it that seriously. So how do you learn from it? Well, of course, you got to read it, right? You got to read it. But you also have to persevere at it. You need to review it. You need to remember it. He says, he says, no here who forgets, but a doer who acts. You see, learning from God's word, it is reading it, but it's also reviewing it. It's also remembering it. That's why in Psalm 119, the Bible says, I meditate on your word all day long. So I want you to understand here what he's telling us. He's saying, listen, you're you're, you're, you're living in a world of trouble, folks. James really writes like a pastor preaches or how we ought to. He says, y'all are in a world of trouble. You're facing trials. You're going to face some temptation. But you've got the word of truth. Loved ones, we have the word of truth. And he tells us, he says, listen, what needs to happen is, first of all, you've got to listen to it. You've you got to listen to God's word. And then, and then you actually need to not just listen, but you actually, it's a little deeper. You've got to learn from God's word. And then finally, finally, he says, comes down to this. You've got to be, not just to hear, you've got to be a doer. You've got to live it. You've got to live out God's word. Live out God's word. Not just to hear, but a doer. It's interesting, this word that the Bible uses here for a hearer. In the Greek language, it's the same word that we get our word auditor from. You see, you can audit a college class, for instance. When you audit a class in school, you don't have to take any tests. When you audit a class, you don't really have any responsibilities. You just kind of come to class and take away whatever you want to take away. But understand this, that's not what God's looking for in his relationship with us. He doesn't want us just to audit the Bible or audit Christianity. He wants us to really very much understand that he wants us to do this. He wants us to live out his word. He wants us to put it into practice. And what's, and what's really interesting is next week we'll, we'll kind of turn the page here in the book of James. Because now James is going to really begin to talk to us about how you put this into practice. And right here in the last couple verses of chapter 1... He says this, he says, if anyone thinks he's religious, and he gives some examples, he says, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, he's saying, listen, you need to live out this word. You gotta just do it. You gotta, you gotta do God's word. You see, God wants to actually affect. He wants to transform. He wants to work on my conversation with others. That's why he talks here about a controlled tongue, a controlled mouth. He talks about how we ought to have a concern for others. We ought to have not just a controlled mouth, we ought to have a caring heart. And not just a controlled mouth, a caring heart, but we ought to have a clean mind. You see, my character before others makes a difference also. You see, you see understand this, brothers and sisters, this evening when, when we have the opportunity to gather back together as church family at 6 p.m. for this family celebration, what we're attempting to do is to certainly have listened to God's word to learn from God's word. But when we come back together, when we're the church, when we're serving God, when we're seeking God, it's important for us to live out his word. That's why, understand this, my conversation matters. My concern for others matters. My character matters. And that's why James says, this is more than just Sunday school. This is more than just going to church. This is about you being the church. Because understand this, we're living in a world of trouble. And he's blessed us with the word of truth. And there's a very interesting story from history. One of the most dramatic examples that I know of, of how the Bible transformed a society. And it comes from history, the pages of history that talk about the mutiny on the bounty. Maybe you read about this and heard about this. Of course, some of the shipmates mutiny against the notorious Captain Bly. And I won't go into all the details, but what ends up happening is uh, some of the mutineers find themselves on this tiny little island in the South Pacific. Small island, about, only about two miles long. Well, after 10 years of just debauchery and drunkenness and crazy living, there's only one man left. One man left almost a dozen ladies and some children that these crazy men had fathered. It, it, it really looked like this society was on the verge of extinction. This island community had spiraled into chaos. And in providence and in desperation, that sole male survivor finds the Bible, the Bible that was the ship's Bible from the bounty, the ship's Bible. He finds that Bible in an old chest at the bottom of it. He pulls it out and he begins to read it. And it transforms his life. He takes that Bible and he begins to use that and teach the other ladies. He then uses that Bible to begin to teach the children. An expedition was sent to that island some years after that. And what they discovered was they discovered one of the most peaceful islands in the Pacific. An island of harmony, of peace, of holiness, if you will. You see, understand this. We live in a world of trouble. But if we will listen to God's word, if we will learn from God's word, and if we will live out God's word, God can transform us from the inside out. So let us 
Come to the mirror of scripture and take a hard look. Take a hard look today. But loved ones, take a hard look every day. Every day. You know what? I bet pretty much every day, all of you all in here, you look at your mirror. Let's, let's, let's remember this together as we close up our service. Let's just not look at the mirror and evaluate the outside. Let's every day come to God's word and say, God, take your scripture and show me what I'm like on the inside. Show me. Would you stand and bow your heads with me in prayer? Stand your feet and bow your heads in prayer, please. We're gonna get ready to sing a song in response. As we get ready to sing this wonderful song of commitment and worship, I want to pray for you. All across this room right now, no doubt we're all people in here that if I were to ask, do you believe the Bible? I'd get shouts of amen. But God, now we just want to pray that you'll search our hearts. God, that you will take your mirror of Scripture And hold it up before each of us. And Lord, show us, show us what you want to change. Show us, Lord, what you want to change in our individual lives. Lord, show us how you want to transform our families. Show us how you want to transform this church even more, Lord. Oh God, help us to take what we hear from the word, what we see in the word. Lord, help us to take it seriously. God, perhaps a starting point is for us to simply say as your people, we will commit to taking the word of God seriously in this this life, God. May we treasure your truth, Lord. God, perhaps there's a soul in this room who today needs to turn from his or her own ways and turn to you, Lord Jesus. I pray they'll come forward during this song Lord, they probably going to have more questions than they have answers, but that's all right, Lord, because you're the truth. You're the way. You offer the life. That's who you are, Jesus. So, God, I pray they'll come, and then I'll be able to share with them how they can trust you, Lord Jesus, and we can connect them with this church family, and they can know they don't have to go through this life alone. God, move among us, I pray. Lord, help us to respond today. In Jesus' name, amen.